Hi, and welcome to the Voice of 5G podcast. It's a podcast from Ericsson with me, Paul Cowling. And me, Janina Taunant. Hi, Janina. <laughs> here we are again. <laughs> again, again. Are we supposed to be recording something or? <laughs> I don't know. What are we doing here? What are we doing here again? We are. Uh, we have had a little bit of a glitch in our machinery during March, Paul. We've been a little bit busy. We have. Somebody sent me away. Yes. Someone was asking a lot of your time. But uh, I think we've got some podcasting ad to talk about that. Yes. Yeah. Paul, very busy trying to be a good guy towards his manager. Do my bit for the company. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Instead of doing my bit for the podcast. But today we're here to talk about that fantastic, fascinating subject, 5G. Yes. Nothing to do with trade shows. And we have a very interesting topic today. Yeah, we have uh, our dear friend, Jasmit Singsetti, on the podcast. He's been on the podcast before. He comes from Ericsson's Consumer Lab and they do a lot of research and especially talking to consumers about what they want and what they expect and what they need and what their plans are, everything like that. And of course, that includes a lot of 5G expectations now. And Paul, this is a big study. Uh, it is a big study. It's based on 49,000 consumers in 37 different countries. And I think it's, it's kind of, I think normally they're a kind of combination of a, like a paper study and then sets of interviews with people to further understand their views and what their expectations are. But it's, we think it's the largest global 5G-related consumer survey in the industry to date. And being as it's a, a survey is a statistical thing, it's representative of the opinions of about 1.7 billion consumers worldwide. Yeah. Looking to people that have 5G, but also people that don't have 5G, are their expectations mm. of what, they, what they're looking for from 5G and maybe what they think the future of 5G is going to bring them. So lots of interesting things there. And of course, those opinions that don't necessarily translate into the real future, but it's a good thing both for people like us that make networks and people like our mobile operators to deliver 5G services. What is it that people are expecting 5G to give them? But maybe also for other players out there that are working on applications and other services which will run on a 5G network. Say this is the kind of thing that consumers are looking at. And lots Thanks. of interesting insights. Yeah which we will go through now with Jasmeet. And the report itself is called Ericsson Consumer Labs 5G, the next wave report. So if you want to find it, Google 5G, the next wave, or find the link to the report in our show notes. Exactly. It's a bit special, this recording, isn't it, Janina? Do you want to explain why? It is. Yeah, we have a technical first. So when we, when we interviewed Jasmit, we were doing it over 5G. Yeah, he was on a 5G line because the Wi-Fi didn't work where he was. So he did it over 5G. Yeah. <laughs> so if you think that his voice sounds extra good, it's because it's over 5G. Paul. <laughs> and if my voice is particularly bad today, it's because I'm not on 5G. No, exactly. <laughs> we are still not on 5G, Paul and I, but perhaps in the near future. I could be on, could be on 5G. I'm just not on 5G. <laughs> yes. 
at least you have the option. Yeah, uh, so listen to our interview with Jasmine Singsedi. Smith, welcome to our The Voice of 5G podcast again. Welcome back. Thank you for having me here, Janina. Thank you for joining. So on today's podcast, we have Jasmeet Singh Seri. He's the head of Ericsson's Consumer Lab. And what is Ericsson's Consumer Lab, Jasmeet? Yes. So Consumer Lab is the insight and foresight unit within Ericsson Research. And we are among the eight research areas within Ericsson Research with the responsibility of bringing in the voice of the consumer into the organization and also advising our customers on how they can stay ahead of the most important trends that are impacting our industry. So we're going out and speaking with thousands of consumers annually, trying to pick up some important signal that could essentially shape not just the present of our telecom industry, but also the future of our telecom industry. And how many people are you in the consumer lab? Yeah, we are a very small team, mm -hmm. essentially. So we, as a research area, we are about 25 people stationed here in the headquarters in Stockholm. And 10 of them are focused much more on the consumer side of the business. And then the others are focused much more on the enterprise or the industrial side of business. Ah. And when you say now consumer lab and you, we're going to talk a lot about 5G consumers, what do we mean with consumer and what's the difference between consumer and a 5G user or is it, a, is it the same? Yeah. Yeah. I think I, I should point out that it's consumer lab. We've been studying this, the development in the 5G consumer market, as we call it, since 2019. So since we, we first had the commercial networks launched. And initially, of course, in the first few years, the 5G market was much more concentrated on the early adopters, users who had the most premium devices and had the sort of capability to latch on to these networks. These consumers, of course, were well off to start with, just because of the sheer nature of having to pay a premium for 5G or carrying premium devices. So these naturally would have been white collar professional workers in the age group of about 25 plus with jobs and employment. We've seen that change now that 5G is becoming much more mainstream. A 5G consumer today or a 5G user today is much more coming from the mainstream strata. He's not necessarily a tech early adopter, but much more a mainstream user carrying a, a decent 5G capable device, not one of the most premium devices. We see that being reflective of where the market is right now, which is the fact that 5G is moving to this next wave that we'll be discussing. Today. Yeah, because you have a new report out, which is called The Next Wave. And this is the description of what a 5G user is doing and looking forward to and want out of the 5G networks, devices, what they're going to use it for, right? Or how would you describe it? Yeah. When we set out the scoping of this study, I think we were looking at trying to understand what stage of the market are we in right now with 5G. And if you look at where we are right now, I think we are roughly about four years since the first commercial networks were launched. And most markets have crossed this 15% sort of penetration benchmark mm -hmm. on 5G. 
that point of 15% is very important. That is something that we have also highlighted in this new report that we had launched. That is the point that we see that 5G kind of moves beyond the early adopters, because usually the early adopters in the market are not more than 10 to 15%, depending upon what market you you are kind of discussing. And 5G is now starting to move into much more mainstream consumers. But the expectations of these mainstream consumers are very different from the early uh-huh. adopters. The early adopters were much more about the new capabilities, the new innovation, the new services that, that 5G could bring. But these mainstream users we are seeing are much more pragmatic. They are much more ruthless, I would call it, or less forgiving of any lapses that they possibly see in 5G performance. So it's going to vary overall. It's We can't say that this is just concentrated in, in one segment per se, because as we are saying now, in most markets, as soon as you cross the 15% penetration mark, you're going into more mainstream consumers and the age band, just they are expecting a lot more coming from their service providers. So going back to who they are, like you said, I don't know if it was inadvertently, but you said him. <laughs> are they male? <laughs> are they female? Do you know any, like the age of the general 5G user? Yeah, I think it, it expands. So we are seeing markets like South Korea, for example, now that we've seen massive rollout of 5G. A typical 5G user is not the white collar professional workers. I mean, it's gone into more senior segments as well. And because where the market is with the level of penetration, whereas in in the early adopter markets, let's say, for example, India and so forth, it's still the 5G usage is still driven by the young middle class section of the society out there. So it really depends on on where the market is, when they are launching 5G and, and at what stage of maturity they are in. But yeah, I don't think we, we can really say that this is just a male dominated sort of usage pattern. We see this across the mm-hmm. board. There are young, there, there are you know, adults and as well as seniors who are now exposed to this technology. Yeah. And you call them ruthless. <laughs> so they're a demanding customer now. Absolutely. They're extremely demanding and rightly so, right? I mean, all of us, we are from this sector itself. So we take things a little bit for granted or we expect that we understand the way this market is really going to progress. So we know it's going to take time for rollouts to happen and so forth. And that's a typical trait for an early adopter who understands technology that they have seen the 4G rollout previously and when we have sat down with them and tried to understand their expectations, they are more forgiving about these lapses with regards to 5G availability or 5G coverage. They understand that it's going to take time for 5G to have blanket coverage. It took years for 4G to attain that mark and it's going to be the same with 5G. But these mainstream users, they are very value conscious and they're looking for a successful proof coming in from the early adopters to say, oh, this works in, in a way. And they have extremely high expectations especially on 5G performance and coverage to start with. And they are much more demanding of what they really expect coming out of 5G, which is how can you really enhance my day-to-day life with a technology like 5G? So show me the proof of value in a way. And that's why it's so difficult as well to get these users and convince them to really upgrade their handsets, especially in an environment like where we are right now with macroeconomic headwinds, interest rate rises, the crisis that we are seeing with the banking sector and so forth, energy prices and so forth. Much of these mainstream consumers are sitting on the fence right now, holding on to their handsets much longer and waiting for 5G to be built out and seeing that proof of value so that they can then jump on the bandwagon. Mm. So that's what we have highlighted in the report that the operators, the service providers need to do much more 
in order to convince this sect. Yeah. And in this study, you have six key trends in this. And this is sort of like the first one. And the actual heading of that section is 5G adoption to be inflation resistant. That's something that a lot of countries now this year are struggling with. But then this yeah. will not affect. Is what we, that's what we're saying. Yeah, exactly. So when we, when we did go out and did, uh, do this research, we saw that roughly about 500 million plus users could upgrade to 5G in, in 2023. And this is with the, the current situation we are facing with regards to inflation and macroeconomic headwinds and so forth. And the reason for that is that I think the sheer fact that connectivity has established itself as being more of a resilient product. And we have seen that in the pandemic as well. The sheer fact that you were able to connect helped you kind of get through the phase of being socially and emotionally connected getting information front about what's happening out, out there. So consumers have valued the fact that they had access to great connectivity during the pandemic, and they realized that this is important. And hence, so we, when we went to them and asked them about, do you see that you're going to cut back on your spends on 5G, or are you going to push this back, not upgrade your handsets and so forth? We didn't see the pushback from consumers. And even if you look at the numbers that we now see with 5G adoption, I mean, we did clock about 1 billion subscribers by the end of 2022. So the prediction is that we should be about 1.6 billion by roughly about mid-2023 and so forth. And I think we will get there because while there is a lot of pressure on European markets where we are starting to see this headwinds with regards to high interest rates, recession and so forth, that will be compensated by the buoyant mood that we see in more emerging markets of India, Brazil, Mexico, Indonesia and so forth where those economic headwinds are not that strong. If you just look at India, for example, when we did this research, we saw that the upgrade intention for going and taking up 5G in India was almost two times higher than what we see in US and UK. And we were the first ones, in fact, to go out and predict that India will, in the first year of 5G rollout, see about 40 million subscribers latching onto the network. And if you look at the actual ground reality today in India, there are already 20 million 5G users, unique 5G users, latched onto the network in just a matter of four months. And that's between the two big operators, Bharti and Geo. So the compensation effect will happen. The more cautious mood that we see in the Western markets among consumers, because they want to hold back a little bit and not be super adventurous with their spending, will be compensated by the buoyant mood that we see in much more emerging markets. Yeah. And those 20 million new subscribers, then they have some demands. We talked yeah. about that uh, I mean, before. Yeah, I mean, it, for, from a perspective of India, I think those 20 million are still early adopters in a way. So as India now goes into this sort of curve of adoption, and as soon as they pass the 15% penetration mark, they will start to face those same uh, questions being raised by the mainstream users about show me the value, show me the use cases, show me how this is really going to enhance my daily life beyond just speeds. Because I think much of the marketing around 5G has been around speeds in a way. And I think we, yes. we continue to play that card around speeds. Mm -hmm. uh, the whole way that we talk about 5G needs to drastically change from just this discussion about speeds to something more tangible. And that's how we can really get consumers to, to really believe and also for an opportunity for the service providers to have a better strategy on monetization when they think about 5G. I think it, it's all been about 
cut copy paste of the same model that we've seen on the 4G side on onto the 5G strategy as well. But 5G needs a it needs a new rethink on the monetization model. It's a tough game, and I think we need to acknowledge that. But it can be mm. done, and the most proactive operators are reaping the benefits of being able to kind of rejig their strategy and convince consumers that there is more to 5G than just speed. Yeah, I think though that a lot of people see speeds as being the very easy benchmark. Oh, well, I got good speed. Oh, I can download this amount of data per second. And that is the level that I can see. But they don't, perhaps they're not thinking that, wait a minute, I'm still getting this lag or something like that. Or wait a minute, when I go behind this corner, oh, my video stops. And they don't think about that as as the, the sort of user experience. Right, Paul? Yeah. Yeah. Correct, gentlemen. <laughs> I thought you were a little bit too relaxed there. <laughs> it is usually when you come in with a huge rant of ma- about massive MIMO, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, massive MIMO, massive MIMO. <laughs> Thank you. Um, no, it's, it's yeah. there's a lot of focus on on peak speeds, but, but particularly when you're out in the network, the you know as you get towards the edge of the cell, that the you know the average rates in the in the cell drop. So you know, the speed that you get, it's like the worst speeds that you get that uh, come on uh, user experience. When you're in good reception, then nobody complains because they're getting they're getting a good service. But still, though, one of the six key trends here in the report is also that five G availability in itself is like a check in the box. And I can feel that myself, that when I see like, wait, I have 5G. Oh, now I'm happy. (laughs) It's sort of like a spine reaction or something that, oh, now I'm in a good area. I think my one of my first experiences with 5G was that, oh, I can't send an MMS. And then I realized, oh, wait a minute, my phone has 5G for the first time. And it was like, I guess it was so, su- my phone was so surprised that it had 5G that something didn't really <laughs> work. And but nowadays it's like, oh, if, the, if it's not a 5G phone, why would I get it? Like 5G being like, okay, it's, this is the technology, even though I'm not using this huge mass of yeah. streaming service. In terms of the market development, it's a given. And we see that with consumers as well. And they're not questioning migrating to 5G per se. And it's going to happen naturally as consumers kind of the refresh cycles on with devices. Mm -hmm. And also the fact that most of the service providers are no longer charging a premium for 5G just from a connectivity perspective, right? So that that concept, I think, has given away. And and I think that boards extremely well from a consumer point of view, because if you do have coverage gaps, then what are you really paying a premium for? So till the point that you haven't successfully built out coverage Maybe you've not achieved 50, 60, 60% of population coverage. I don't think you should perhaps think about charging a premium for 5G. But once you do reach at that point, then I think uh, the monetization models need to be rethought. But coming back to the point that you raised, we do see that beyond just peak speeds, now this whole perception of 5G availability is now the new benchmark. And we know a lot of our customers go out and do these road tests. They also rely a lot on third-party tests as well, whether that's Okla or OpenSignal and so forth, to understand the ground reality. And that's all good. But I think in addition to understanding the ground reality in terms of how the network is performing, 
we need to also think about how the network is being perceived by the end consumers. And interestingly, what we saw in our data was that while most markets have achieved, and we had about 37 markets in our survey, so we saw that while most markets had achieved a population coverage of 5G in excess of 60%, just about one third of consumers were getting connected to 5G more than 50% of the time. And that says that the reach and availability of 5G is still not what consumers would expect. Because if I'm indoors and if I'm at locations where I'm just juggling between 4G and 5G, that doesn't help in any way. Even if you promise me peak speeds, those are not going to be consistent speeds to start with. So this is what we're trying to say, that this needs to be now, in addition to all the actual tests that you're doing and talking about peak speeds and so forth, the perception of 5G availability needs to be now the new benchmark. And consistently, service providers need to go out and measure this, whether they do this with their own customer service channels and customer experience channels, polling consumers to really understand how are they really perceiving the network performance. So that's extremely important. And I think service providers are getting that. They are understanding that this fetishness with regards to population coverage is not going to hold for long because consumers can see through it if you don't have a sort of a good enough coverage built out done on 5G. Yeah. And then we come to some of the biggest findings in this report. And that's <laughs> about the actual usage of the data, like the metaverse, the XR, augmented virtual reality, like the actual, what people will use it in the future, according to your study. Yeah, exactly. And, and it's that's an, an exciting part. Yeah, it's, it's an exciting part. And I think last year, metaverse was the key theme, you know, and then the whole idea of metaverse was kind of bashed. And we saw that Mobile World Congress Barcelona as well. There was less and less discussion about the metaverse. But we think it's, it's still important, irrespective of whatever the metaverse is going to be in the future, because I think all of us are just speculating what it could be in a way. There are still these early versions of the 3D worlds that we are seeing. And it's, of course, starting off from gaming. The whole idea of metaverse is nothing new. It has existed before and gaming was the starting point of it. And we already see, you know, massive number of users engaging with gaming over 5G networks. The other important point that we highlighted in the report was the rise of augmented reality. So we are seeing that 5G users are much more engaged with augmented reality in comparison to the 4G users. And the reason for that is not that suddenly I discovered that suddenly I have this huge interest in augmented reality. It's the push from the service providers as well. So if you look, take the example of US, we are seeing that sports and augmented reality is being merged. So if you look at NBA, NHL, NFL, all these big leagues are trying to enhance the fan experience with augmented reality. And we also saw that with FIFA in Qatar as well, that there was a companion app where you could just use that smartphone app in order to understand player positioning, player speeds, more richer statistics and data. And it could be that you didn't have the best seat in the house, but now with augmented reality, you could get like richer statistics and so forth. So the bundling of these exciting new AR applications is aiding in the discovery of those AR applications by 5G users and in turn is increasing the usage as well. And that's what we see with, with 5G. And that bodes very well for the future as well, because I think going forward, perhaps XR will be the new video. We are talking about video still driving bulk of the traffic on 5G. But if you look at 
2026, maybe on the 2030 sort of dimension, XR might turn out to be the next video. And it just needs an important inflection point. One pair of glasses by a company which has extremely strong brand power can really change the trajectory of this market. And I think that's what everybody is expecting that's going to happen. But it's a hard challenge. It is hard to really build glasses and form factors. We are stuck a little bit in the VR realm right now and head-mounted devices are not that great. You can get sickness and you can't spend too much time in virtual reality. So that has to give way to something else. The question is, when is that going to happen? But we see 5G is paving the path to the metaverse already. Users who are on 5G networks are already spending on an average an hour more with virtual worlds. These virtual worlds could be 2D today. So the likes of Roblox, for example, is another virtual world. You have Fortnite, PUBG, and all these sort of gaming titles in the world are essentially 3D virtual worlds, but still being used on a 2D screen. So it's not that you're using it on AR classes. Consumers are transacting in digital currency, buying in-game items as well. So we see 5G users are much more engaged in all these pre-metaverse related activities. And that is paving the path for whatever is going to happen next or how things transpire in future. Yeah. And uh, talking about the metaverse, I mean, I wasn't at Mobile Congress <laughs> this year, but there was a lot of buzz about the metaverse. Perhaps not as much as last year, but there was a lot of talk about it. But are you saying the actual outcome might be a little bit more close to reality, more of like augmented or perhaps augmented as a first step? At Ericsson, we are building scenarios. And at Consumer Lab mm. also, we are, we are working on now stitching those scenarios in terms of what's going to happen with this XR related sector. And the first piece that we are seeing is that we are very much in the VR space right now. And that's what is driving VR today is essentially gaming. And we see that giving way to augmented reality coming in much more in the 2026, 2027 sort of dimension. And that coincides a little bit with the launches of maybe augmented reality glasses with big brands that might come in. But these glasses are not going to be standalone augmented reality glasses. I mean, these glasses will still require computing capabilities from your smartphone. So these will be tethered. And to start with, what I call them is, is not AR glasses, but assisted viewers. So this is essentially another screen uh, for you. Now, it's the difference is that this is your personal screen, which can be extended up to 120 inch. So you could have cinematic experience, a laid back cinematic experience with those glasses. Or these glasses will augment very simple information, visual search and so forth. But the bulk of computing will still happen on the smartphone. Beyond 2030 is when we are seeing that we will be able to untether the smartphone from these glasses and move all the computing to the cloud. And that is the, the elephant in the room, right? How we need to make that happen because XR can only scale if you are able to untether smartphone computing paradigm and you know move the computing to the edge, to the cloud. And it was interesting that in Barcelona, we essentially showed some of the demos around this area where we essentially recorded a music celebrity, a rapper in a London studio, and we created a volumetric video of this rapper performing. And then we were able to push all this data, volumetric data, which is essentially very heavy, to the smartphone. And that would not have been possible if we didn't have edge cloud rendering. So we were able to do the computing on the edge and then just stream to the device. So it's still like video streaming. And then offer the capability to end users to 
come in and see the celebrity in real time appearing as if an holographic 3D sort of a model in augmented reality. So all that is only possible with technologies like 5G because we are able to optimize the last mile, edge rendering, a lot of compression, latency mitigation algorithms and so forth because we need to ensure that when this is a multi-user experience, we can have the minimum bounded latency of somebody else if you see an avatar of another person moving and coming in front of that celebrity, it's occluded in a way. So there are a lot of technicalities involved in, in being able to push the boundaries out here. And I think it will need a lot of work if, if we want XR or this whole metaverse vision to, to scale. And we are taking small steps as of now. We are very early in, in that development of the metaverse discussion. Really exciting and nice to see how the consumers are starting to use 5G all over the world. This was a huge study, we can say that again, like over 49,000 users in 37 countries interviewed exactly. by your team. Wow. Yeah. And the largest global 5G related consumer survey in the industry. Yeah, that's correct. And we, we're extremely proud of that because this takes massive effort and it's a massive commitment from Ericsson to go out and provide a true picture of a consumer opinion. And I think that is valued a lot. We do get a lot of opinion about the technicalities of 5G performance, but I think it needs to always be complemented by the consumer opinion. And I keep emphasizing this fact that the consumer business is still extremely important for our customers and also for this technology per se to really prove, provide its value in a way. And I think even today when we speak, we sit down with our customers and so forth, almost 80% of the revenues is still coming from the consumer side of things. And this is after four years of, or now we are moving into the fifth year of 5G launch. So a lot of talk about enterprise and industrial, I think it's all great and we need to move into that direction, but it's taking a lot of time. And scalability is an issue as well. And while it's going to take time to materialize, we need to ensure that the consumers and the consumer business is strong enough to give the service providers an opportunity to then metamorphosize and really create a good enterprise story around 5G. So yeah, we are extremely proud. This is the massive study. It is perhaps once in a time that, that we will do such a study like that. I don't think we will go as big as how we have done with this study. But even this year, in 2023, we have an ambition to again go out and check how the needle is moving on 5G performance. So this is going to be a continuous effort from us. So you will hear more about this maybe in the September, October timeframe where we will launch a new study in the market. But we will focus much more about the fact that consumers are expecting, and we saw some glimpse of that in the study, was that consumers are not necessarily too thrilled by best effort approach on 5G. It needs to be tied to better quality of service. And how do we define that better quality of service? What does quality of experience really mean for gaming or for video streaming and so forth? And can 5G really go from just being a talk about peak speeds or higher data volume and capacity to providing a predictable quality of service to the end users? And will consu do consumers value that or not? So I think that's the point that we're going to go out and check and test in the market. And let's see what emerges out of it. I have a question. Obviously, you, you're out and talking a lot to consumers and what's the consumer's opinion. But the topic is, you know, we're talking a lot about uh, AR and VR and, and, and gaming or mobile gaming. 
are the players in that space, the people making devices or the people uh, developing games, are they coming to you or are they using this information to build their picture of, of what's their future market going to look like? Yep. That's a very good question. And as maybe you are aware that we have this program called Start of 5G, which we had launched back in 2020, where the idea was to engage with the ecosystem and the ecosystem of developers and startups who are building these consumer applications and propositions, whether that is gaming or augmented reality and so forth. And I think that's been uh, super exciting for us to use that forum and platform for cross-pollination of these insights and to gather feedback and inputs from these developers about how they see they could use the characteristics of 5G. And, and what we have learned is that the developer community is, is not much aware about the characteristics of what they can actually do with the 5G network platform. So it takes a mediator like Ericsson to come in, provide this innovation platform, make them aware about what are the possibilities, what currencies that they need to use of 5G and how they need to evolve their application development. And what we are hearing now that we have worked a lot with these gaming companies and a lot of these developers on XR and so forth is that if 5G performs as expected, it helps them focus much more on the creative part of development rather than to think about whether this app is going to perform on the network or not. So they don't need to think too much about the performance of the application per se, but they can focus much more on the creative side of development, whether that's gaming or XR and so forth. And what we are also offering here with our consumer knowledge is that we are giving them the ability to test their concepts at scale with consumers globally. So if they have a new concept of an AR application or maybe some metaverse, Web3, related applications as well, they can come to Consumer Lab and we can take all those concepts and we can help them test them at scale with consumers globally to try and understand the willingness to pay, the appeal, the relevance of these concepts. And that is something which is appreciated a lot because 70 to 80% of these startups don't have any market research budget to start with. So a lot of their business cases are built on intuitive insight and not hard facts. So what we're providing them are these hard facts and scientific-based calculations to say, this is something that really has the ability to scale. And that also helps us when we have identified to take those propositions to our customers as well and say, okay, we have tested this very thoroughly. We know there is a consumer need for this. And this is an application or a service that we think perhaps can work best in your market. So yeah, I think it's, it's been a great vehicle for us to understand where the technology is headed, get those insights in, but also share our insights with the community as well. Yeah. And the Consumer Lab is continuing to lab about consumers. And so happy to have you on the podcast again, Jasmeet. It's, it's a great honor to have you. And this is such an interesting topic and so important to get some data behind the guesses and the feel in the what people think about 5G. Yes, our role is to remove the guesswork. So that's the role that we're performing. And yeah, I think the audience should, of course, go out. The report is available on ericsson.com. It's called the 5G Next Wave. So it's available to download. And then this year as well, as I said, September, October, I think you can look out for some big news that will come out around 5G. Excellent. Uh, you know, for yeah. And we'll link to the report in the show notes. Yeah. Well. Thank you. Great. Thank you. 
Remember to like, comment, subscribe. If you like this podcast, it really helps. We have a great team of people we're working with, but when it comes down to it, a lot of work is done by us too. And we weren't hired to do podcasting, Paul. <laughs> we're not. I'm not getting paid for this. <laughs> <laughs> so please, if you want us to continue... Give us some good reviews and recommend us to your colleagues. And if you want to contact us, email is best. And which email is it, Paul? 5Gpodcast at ericsson.com. Ah, you're so great. And, you know, out there, we love your suggestions and feedback. So please reach out to us. Ericsson is a Swedish multinational networking and telecommunications company started in 1876 and headquartered in Schister, just outside Stockholm. We sell infrastructure, software and services in the information and communications technology for telecommunications service providers and enterprises, including, among others, 3G, 4G and 5G equipment and IP and optical transport systems. We employ around 100,000 people and operate in more than 180 countries worldwide. Ericsson has over 57,000 granted patents and has been a major contributor to the development of the telecommunications industry and is one of the leaders in 5G.